There's a place in my town where I go and I completely rest. It's in a strip mall where the parking lot is too small and finding a space makes you wanna like high five someone. There are spaces reserved for picking up food at the Thai restaurant on the end. And even though there's no official law about not parking there, somehow we all respect the piece of paper taped on the orange cone that says, parking for pickup only. I literally don't obey the speed limit and roll through stop signs, but I completely respect this sign. If you're lucky enough to get a parking space, then you don't have to walk past the liquor store, the smoke and cig shop, the laundromat, the dry cleaners, and the nail salon, all of which are connected in some way or another. The sidewalk, it reminds me of being home in Los Angeles. It has chewed gum that's become a part of the actual cement, and the round pressed double mint has become black from too many sneakers stepping on it. The sidewalk squares are lined with Doral's and American spirits and camel cigarette filters. And every now and then there's a Budweiser can or like a small brown bag with an empty liquor bottle. It makes you think that maybe the people there really know how to party. But really, it's just the remnants of a laundry day taking way too long. I love this sidewalk. It makes me feel at home and in my town that is so clean and so tidy, this little unkept strip feels like the only place for real grit. And sandwiched in between the Thai food and the nail salon is the reflexology massage parlor. And this, this is my green pasture. It's my happy place. It's where I go to rest. On the outset, you would assume this would be the most relaxing experience. And yet everything about it stands in opposition to you actually relaxing. The windows are filled with posters signage and multiple neon signs in a chaotic cluster it's of advertisement and inside you are greeted with the world's loudest doorbell chime and then greeted by no one no one is ever there at the front desk and the phone is always ringing the white walls are covered with posters of reflexology body maps but they're all in another language so i have no idea what is actually happening in my body when my big toe is being pressed but I also don't really care. The waiting room is, it's filled with couches, which I'm assuming are from some estate sale in Southern Florida. And they landed in Colorado by way of falling off a truck. And they sit there perfectly intentional with a sheet covering the loud floral fabric. I guess like the sheets are supposed to start making you feel relaxed. You are greeted almost always by the same man who is awesome and totally kind but he won't let you see how kind he is until you become a regular like me. When you call to make an appointment, they don't ask you your name and they don't need your phone number. They just ask how many in your party and what time. So when you show up, it's always the same question. Are you the one who called? You answer, yep. And they ask, what do you want? And he points to the poster with about 50 combinations of services. And no matter what combination you get, they're somehow all $30. I point to the same line every time, but I always get a different massage and I couldn't care less. I'm just so happy to be there. He motions for me to come back and leads me to a long room with six or seven recliners. And there are people sitting fully clothed and covered in rough bleached out hotel towels, covering them as if they were a luxurious silk. And you're walked over to your station and somehow you just intuitively know what to do. You take off your shoes and socks and pile them in a corner on the dirty floor with your keys and phone and jacket because they don't have a hook to hang stuff on or a table. I love this. There's no fuss. 
There's just no pretending to be a spa. They're here to work. Since the pandemic, they've installed these giant curtain rods that divide each chair, which are totally not six feet apart, and shower curtains that are not only like they don't stretch to the floor, but they offer no element of privacy. And again, no one cares. You sit in the chair that is already covered in the sandpaper bleach towel. And for me, it feels like I'm laying on cashmere. A new man walks in with a big fake bamboo bucket lined with a trash bag that is filled with water. And I keep one eye open, hoping to get my favorite guy. I smile big when I hear his flip flops and water sloshing in the trash bag bucket. And I know it's going to be a good day. My favorite guy, let's just call him Frank, because every time I ask for his name, he just smiles at me. And that seems like what a Frank would do. Frank is about 140 pounds wet with boots on, but he is all muscle and joy. He puts the bucket down and grabs my big white tree trunk calves and size 11 hooves and puts them in the scalding hot water. Like the water is so hot. I actually think my skin is going to melt off. And he says with a smile, too hot. I just appreciate him so much that I squirm and I cringe and I say, nope, it's great. And he begins to cover me with one more of the world's least soft towels. Before he begins, and I mean like like every time, I hear him cough like he's going to hawk a big loogie. But he never spits it out. He just takes a big breath and starts pressing. It's so gross and I just don't even care. This experience will last 60 minutes. And during these 60 minutes, there is no silence. There is, however, this bad soap opera music that's been playing the same two songs for the last eight years on repeat. I'm not kidding. I know the songs. I know the pan flute. I can hear the piano. And guys, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you where my mind has taken me, but I have imagined the characters in in this scene of this song that keeps repeating. And I've named them Scorpio and Juliet. And they're in this repeating scene where they're having a long and emotional goodbye because Scorpio is moving to the Maldives to open a sandwich shop and to do scooter rentals. And Juliet can't go because she has a rare condition that's made her allergic to sand and happiness. So she will stay in their town and continue to do her volunteer work with disabled and displaced cats. And this is the scene I imagine when the music plays over and over and over again. And I love it. In between the sound of the soap opera, The phone is always ringing and being answered in the same way. What time and how many? Okay, see you then. And then the loud clapping they do when the massagers finish up a section, which I have no idea why they do this, but it's seriously the opposite thing you would expect after being pressed and rubbed and reflexologied. You are deep breathing and you hear clap, 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 clap. The reason I love Frank is because he says only two things the whole time. He asks, is that too hard? And it is always too hard. He is pressing the actual air out of my body. But I just sense he's taking such great pride in his work. I just say, no. When it's time for me to roll over and take my trunks out of the big trash bag bucket filled with water, Frank will kindly put his hand on my shoulder and remove the cheap dollar store Kleenex he's used as an eye cover and say, turn over, please. Do you get why I love him? I just feel like he gets me. 
Oh, also, I should mention that Frank smokes marble reds and he reeks of cigarette smoke. And that in combination with the world's cheapest Jergens lotion they use, it, it creates the sort of like grandma's smoking parlor scent that is now my absolute favorite. I would totally buy this candle. Frank yanks on my arms and legs and puts his elbow in my shoulder blades. And he runs his elbow from the shoulder down to the tip of my butt cheek. And that is the sweet spot. I think maybe sometimes he's like hoisted himself up on a chair and is digging his heel into my body. And it hurts in the best way, the pressing. It's intense and so completely intimate with a person I have no intimacy with. By the time I'm done, I am a noodle. And the clap, clap, clap on my back tells me it's time to get back into the real world. I walk out the metal and glass door into the bright light and my eyes squint from the bright sun and my hair's all crazy because it's coated with jergens and I feel all at once emptied and deeply still. You may be wondering why I have told you this weird story and why it matters. And I can see how you would wonder that. But here's why I believe it matters. Because I don't know how to rest. Or maybe I should say I don't rest well. And I believe... That without rest, I forget what glory looks like inside of me. Rest forces me to look at Jesus and how he loves me when I have nothing to offer him. In rest, God speaks and God reveals and he restores. Rest is the place that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit release revelation that changes our internal structure. Because in rest, we're not fighting for our own agenda and we're not striving We're in a receiving posture, and when we rest, we receive. Guys, I require actual help to get out of the way of myself because rest does not come natural to me. I have believed all kinds of lies about rest, that it means I'm lazy or undisciplined, that I'm not contributing, and to have value, I should always be of service. By the way, there is this is like nowhere in the Bible. I don't want to disappoint anyone. I'm afraid of missing out on doing something awesome, so I say yes to too many things. I get jealous of others and I want what they have, even though what I have are the things people dream about. I believe the lie that doing is what makes me successful. It's what will make me a better person. And I will do this until I am utterly spent. I know when I need to rest, but I usually don't even do that then. I'm honestly not even that mature yet. I wait until I'm angry for no reason and irritated at nothing when I'm tired, but I've had a full night's sleep, hungry, but physically full. And I snap at my kids and I pick fights with my husband. I become entirely too self-critical and I just don't like myself. I mean, obviously these are lies, but apparently they're not that obvious to me because I will almost quarterly land in a spot of feeling like I'm on the edge of totally unraveling. And this is not holy. There is no amount of righteousness involved in burning yourself out all for the glory of God. In fact, his kingdom works in the opposite. Jesus has a different opinion or mindset about rest. I mean, in the Gospels, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says things like, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Oh my gosh, what does that even mean, by the way? I am in a constant yelling match with God to understand this. Even just living in the question of what is a Sabbath or how do I Sabbath? How do I rest the right way or the Christian way? 
Honestly, my rest can turn quickly into me becoming a martyr. But Jesus never felt the need to explain why he rested. And I can't seem to stop. If my husband comes up from work, he works in the basement, and I'm sitting down, I automatically give him the rundown of everything I've accomplished and everything I'm about to do when I get up in three minutes. My husband doesn't care. He has no agenda or requirements for me. But see, it's, it's this Gestapo shouting orders inside my mind keeps me begging for worth and rest isn't allowed. But Jesus is not the Gestapo. Jesus is nothing like this. Instead, he sleeps at the bottom of a boat in a storm and he tells his disciples and the people to go so he can go to the top of a mountain and pray because he has boundaries and he practices rest and he doesn't apologize for it. He has a greater need, a greater need than performing or doing. He needed to spend time with the Father to know what his Father was doing and saying. And sometimes I make the doing and the working greater than sitting with the Father. I can be a Martha and I want to be a Mary. And now just to be fair to sweet Martha, those disciples would be pretty freaking hungry if Martha hadn't worked her tail off in the kitchen. But the sad part of that story is that when everyone is fed, Martha's the one who's still remaining hungry. And that's not what Jesus desires. The gospel's filled with these verses where Jesus rests and prays and he positions positions himself to hear from the Father. And you never read any verses in the Bible where Jesus felt ashamed for taking time to rest. But sometimes I can't seem to escape that kind of shame. It may sound funny, but there's a discipline in creating space for God to speak. I have to submit my actual body, my mind to someone else's care so I can let my mind and soul wander around with the Holy Spirit. I need to physically position myself for an encounter with God. I have to make myself available and open to the Holy Spirit and hear what he's saying and doing and allow him to move in my head and my heart without restraint. And there's a discipline in rest. And we we have to do this, guys. We have to do it because whether we believe it or not, our souls become discontent with the amount of glory we are experiencing. And we need that glory restored in us. We were made for glory. We were made for more. And there's an internal cry in, inside of us, at least in, I know inside of me, for revival, for restoration, and for new vision. There's a voice inside of us that has already said yes and amen to everything in heaven. And our bodies and minds are just trying to catch up. And I believe it's in rest. It's in rest that it's all waiting for us. For me, it's doing things like visiting Frank, but it's also being at the beach, being with close friends who see me and know me and allow me to become in front of them with no judgment. Man, if you do not have those people, find those people who will love you as you are becoming who you want to be. Sometimes it's going to a movie by myself or going for a drive alone and I roll all the windows down with the heat on my toes full blast and I stretch out my hand and my fingers into the air and it whips through my car. Rest is my weapon. It's, I think it's everyone's weapon and it's a weapon because when I rest, I'm agreeing with my true identity that I'm a child of God and he will care for me in ways that go beyond what I could do for myself. In that rest, the enemy cannot find me because I'm sitting on the lap of my father where the enemy is his footstool. It's a weapon because a restored child of the king knows their authority and the enemy is afraid of us knowing who we really are. 
Rest is a forced stillness that requires me to surrender. And in the surrender, I'm open. I'm available for the Holy Spirit to reveal the goodness and glory of God. Do you know when you need rest? I find myself in this place more than ever before. And like I say all the time, I feel like I'm a human who's becoming. And when I get distracted and disconnected from my glory, my whole self and those around me suffer. Even as I'm saying this, I realize that maybe not everyone knows what I mean, like about glory and why I need to reconnect to it. This is what I mean. When I rest, God speaks to me in ways that I don't have space for in my normal busy life. And the things he says and reveals, they're so stunning and so transformative that I'm totally and completely changed by them. And I need them. The revelations and restoration that occur when I rest, it changes how I live my life and the directions I take. During one of my visits with Sweet Marlboro Frank, I drifted off into a vision and in between the elbows and pressing, I had a vision of heaven. In the in-between of away and asleep, I saw the house I lived in in heaven. It was a Spanish adobe house that was connected to house after house of the same kind. The room had, the room he had prepared for me. It, it just wasn't a room, but it was a home. And I, I discovered it. I smiled and I felt the texture of the walls with my hand. In the other hand was a perfect cafe con leche, my favorite cup of coffee. My bare feet walked on the cool saltillo tile floor and I made my way towards what would have been the front door, but there was no door, just a massive arched opening. I was wearing my favorite outfit, overalls rolled up at the bottom and a white t-shirt and my hair was about shoulder length, but a perfect mess. Like I had just the most amazing night's sleep and couldn't bother running a comb through it. You guys, this is actually how I see myself in heaven and it's perfect. I had no tattoos. And if you don't know me, I'm sleeved with tattoos and have tattoos on my hands. But my skin was just as it was when I was a little girl. My Irish white and bit pink skin was without blemish. And my freckles were no longer embarrassing. They were the most beautiful shade of red and brown And where on earth I had been embarrassed, here I looked at them and I felt beautiful. The yard, the front yard, had a large cypress tree, like the ones you find on the coast, so they're shaped by the wind. And this one had a nest the size of a minivan in it, and perched in it was a bald eagle with brown feathers and armor on its talons. And somehow I just knew he was mine. He was mine and I was his. Even though I had never been here before or seen this vision, I smiled at the eagle like it was the most natural thing and familiar thing. And I placed my hand in my big worn overall pockets and I left the yard with my coffee in my other hand and walked down a path that led to a picnic table. It was the most normal thing I had ever done. Like muscle memory took over and my soul knew it was home, but my eyes were experiencing it all for the very first time. As I approached the table, I didn't know anyone or recognize them, but there was an unspoken welcome as if we'd all been doing this forever. They were sharing stories and laughing and they kept digging their hands into this bowl on the table and pull out what looked like chips and they would eat these chips and their laughter became even lighter and sweeter. And the way they leaned into each other to hear the stories was, it was more intentional. The more they ate, 
the softer their eyes became and their skin, it, it started to release this aroma. And truly the only way I could describe it is that it smelled like kindness and gardenias. There was never a time I wasn't smiling. I was curious, obviously, about the bowl. So I reached in and I pulled out this chip-like thing. But when I looked closer, I saw that it was the actual word of God. Like pieces of the Bible had been made into pita chips. I ate it. And it was like eating wisdom and joy. And I ate another one and this one was justice and hope and the bowl never emptied. The word was our food and the more I ate, the more I understood. As we sat and literally feasted on the word, we leaned into revelation after revelation and the goodness of the king. And the only way I could describe it would be to say that we were fully satisfied, but we also knew we would never have to stop feasting. I got up and kept walking and there was no need to explain why I left or say goodbyes. It's funny in heaven, there are no hurt feelings because no one's insecure and no one takes anything personally. At least that's what I experienced in my vision of heaven. And this is how I knew it was heaven because I had no fear. I had no shame. There was no jealousy. There was only this invitation, like walk. I was like walking into an invitation and it was just delighting in the word of God. I kept walking and I came to a cliff that overlooked a massive sea and next to me was my eagle. We smiled at each other and out of the corner of my eye, I see Jesus on his own eagle flying by me fast, like so fast, but somehow slow enough for me to see his face and sense the invitation to fly with him. I hopped on my eagle um, and I found that my hands sort of had the right placement. They were wrapped around two golden feathers that were placed just perfectly for my hands like they were made for me. And I whispered, go. And my eagle took off and flew like a rocket to catch up with Jesus. There was so many things to look at and so much to see. I looked below only for a second and I saw the Great Wall of China and then the North Pacific Ocean and in the water. It was so clear. You could see the whales in their pod swimming and people were swimming with them. And even though I feel like I could have spent a lifetime looking. I could hardly take my eyes off Jesus. He was the most captivating thing I had ever seen. He was wild, like so wild and fun. And he was enjoying the wind. He was enjoying the eagle. He was enjoying me enjoying him. His laughter was both like a roaring lion and a sweet song of a bird. And he is winsome and he is wonderful. And even though my eagle was totally keeping up, Jesus motioned for me to come over onto his eagle. And I didn't have to say anything because my eagle took his direction from the king. And he rolled onto his back and I slid onto the eagle Jesus was riding. And as if he had been in second gear the whole time, he shifted and we accelerated in both speed and height. We flew for hours. Honestly, we flew for days. And it was like with each acceleration, I fell in love with him more. And it makes me want to cry as I'm telling you it now because it's so real to me that I fell in love with him more and I knew more of the way he loved me. Like he had always loved me. 
There was the most indescribable enjoyment that Jesus had for me. The way he enjoyed my presence was something I had never experienced on earth. It was clear. I mean, have you ever experienced someone so completely delighted by you? It's like the sun gets brighter and the wind is light and cool and the insides of your body that have held on to judgments and expectations of the world, they've disappeared and you are fully you, who you were created to be. And on that eagle flying with Jesus, I understood that the way he was seeing me in heaven without all that crap was the exact same way he saw me on earth. The way he saw me and the way he loved me never changed. The same delight he had for me here was true on earth. The only thing that changed was my proximity to him, my eyes on him and his on me flying on the eagle, which by now I realized was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I was his beloved. I was his and he was mine. And the intimacy we were having while flying through the heavens, that that was total satisfaction. Honestly, I could spend so much more time telling you about this because there are many more things I could tell you, but I got to speed up to the next part because this podcast is only half an hour long. So Jesus and I were flying on the wings and the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is freaking awesome, you guys. And we took a sudden turn straight up and I saw a cliff and a waterfall in this beautiful garden and it was Eden. And God the Father was standing barefoot on the grass, looking out into the sky for me. He was expecting me. And he was smiling and waving like like a cheesy dad seeing their kid on the soccer field, like proud and overjoyed, just waving. Jesus flew right above and rolled upside down, and I free fell into God's arms. I imagine this is like the thrill of skydying, but without like the fear of death. He caught me. God the Father caught me. And he held me and he hugged me. And in his arms, I could sense the universe, the solar systems, the great vastness of creation. And I opened my eyes as I was tucked into him and I saw galaxies. And no joke, my head was like in his armpit. The feeling that overcame me was this. In these arms, absolutely nothing was impossible. I was being held by the origin of creation and the actual beginning and the end was wrapped around me. And if I wanted to know anything, if I wanted to know and ask him to reveal every mystery in the universe, I knew nothing was withheld. But I didn't want any of that. I just wanted him. I don't know how long he hugged me and I didn't care. I want to be there forever. When he released me from the tight embrace, he lifted me up like a papa does with a child and admired me. And the sweetness on his face, he's like he was marveling at who I was. My life was not flashing before my eyes. It was flashing before his. And he was seeing my story told rightly through his love, his son's blood and the and blood and the like the waves of glory that had held me on earth. He threw me up into the air and caught me. And each time he did this, I experienced a time and a place on earth where I had known his, not known his presence, but he was showing me where he was. He was restoring the voids, restoring me. He was making my story right. 
and his smile. Oh, guys, God's face is magnificent. And his smile is a sunrise and a sunset. And he smiles at you and you want to believe. You want to create and sing and dance and you want to explore. Being thrown into the air and caught by God the Father. It is wild and it is safe and it is holy and sacred. And I knew it was mine forever. It's yours forever. We walked through the garden holding hands and he pointed out trees I had never noticed and flowers I had never smelled. He was happy and unhurried and so still. I mean, all of heaven and earth could have been violently shaking, but he was still. I spent what felt like hours in that dream of heaven, but really it was only minutes because one moment I was holding hands with the king and the next thing I knew was Frank on my back with the clap, 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 clap. I was finished here and it was time to get up and gather my jacket and phone, my shoes and stumble into the light with my hair a mess, smelling like jurgens. I revisit this vision as often as I can and I ask for more revelation, more understanding. But really, I just want more of being with my God. And I could tell you that I get that simply by being with my children, seeing them laugh or holding hands with my husband, spending time with friends or walking into the ocean and feeling the power of the waves. And those things feel amazing. But honestly, they're just a shadow of what it's like to be fully held by the creator of the universe. When I rest, I'm placing myself in his arms. I become hidden in the cleft of the rock like it says in Song of Solomon and I see his face and hear his voice. When I rest, I enter into the secret place of Psalm 91 where the enemy cannot find me. And I'm trusting who I am with the great I am. And there in those naps or long drives or being elbowed by Frank, I experience heaven and how it comes to earth. Heaven is alive in me. And the more I am changed by it, the more it is revealed here and now. Isn't it obvious that the enemy does not want us to rest? Why he wants to keep us busy, distracted, and overwhelmed? Because he knows that the more we rest in the king, the more the kingdom will come. So let me ask you this. Are you tired? Do you need rest? Are you currently satisfied with the amount of glory you are experiencing? There's no time like right now. So I want to invite you into a few minutes of rest. My friend Aaron is going to play some music. Let it wash over you. And for a few minutes, breathe in the presence of the King, your Abba Father, and rest. As I stand before you, 
With my arms open wide Meet me in this place Meet me in this place And as I stand before you now With my arms open Your voice is the only answer, the cry that's in my soul. And your touch is the only remedy. When I'm in your sweet embrace, I'm healing and I am whole. As I bow before you now With my heart open wide Meet me in this place Meet me in this place And as I bow before you now With my heart open wide Meet me in this place Meet me in this place Your voice is the only answer The cry that's in my soul And your touch is the only remedy when I'm in your sweet embrace my healing and I am whole and when I'm with you I know that I am I am home with